Father, we're grateful for your loving kindness to us and your faithfulness to us. We're thankful for a holiday season and the time to celebrate Thanksgiving with our families. And we pray that as we come together this morning to uh, celebrate uh, the resurrection and the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, that you would bless our, our worship and our study this morning of First Timothy. Be with us as we open up this portion of your word and give us wisdom as we seek to apply it to our lives. We pray this in Christ's name and amen. I hope that you all had a good Thanksgiving and spent time with family. I know you had family in town, didn't you? Did they already leave? Yeah. yeah. We had a wonderful time here. I think we had about 30 people come and it was a lot of fun. Um, played games and um, ate lots of food and um, even some folks that I had never met before came. So it was good. And uh, I trust that you had fun with your families as well. Um, we're going to re- return to our uh, to looking at 1 Timothy chapter 4, sort of wrapping up at the end. We'll pick up at verse 11. Again, um, Paul is moving to some pretty personal um, admonitions to Timothy about conducting himself in pastoral ministry. Um, we talked a little bit about... Um, what it means uh, to be training yourself for godliness, the pursuit after godliness that an athlete pursues his sport. Um, you know, he wants to win. And how many of us uh, approach the Christian life with that kind of attitude? Um, where um, we sort of uh, think we have lots of time, we don't put the kind of effort that we might into other areas of our life where we will pursue a career almost, you know, with with no thought to anything else. That's a singular focus. And then once we have that, then whatever else. But um, oftentimes we don't think of the Christian faith in the same terms. But Paul says we're to be training ourselves for godliness, for bodily training is of some value in verse 8, but godliness is of value in every way um, because it it holds promise for this life and for the life that is to come. And then he, we talked a little bit about the saying is trustworthy. Most of the, the trustworthy sayings that Timothy said were followed by a statement that seemed like a confession of, of faith in a sense. But this one was harder to determine um, and probably represents everything um, <clears throat> that Paul had already said in verses 1 through Uh, five regarding the false teaching and what were some of the uh, the things that he warned Timothy about the false teaching that were damaging it's found in verse three chapter four Right, so uh, a devaluing of God's creation and God's created norms. Right, God had made God made everything and said, "Very good," um, and He joined the man and the woman together as husband and wife, um, giving His benediction on marriage. Um, that it is very good. 
And so uh, these false teachers are, are, are um, requiring abstinence from these things. And that um, Timothy needs to be on guard against that kind of teaching so that he can lead the church and so that he can remember he is supposed to command and urge these false teachers to stop. They, they need to stop this kind of teaching. Um, and part of that urging is going to require discipline. Um, and so he needs to be encouraged. And so we, we come to this in verse 11. He is, uh, Paul's very personal and he, he wants to encourage Timothy in the task. So he says, command and teach these things and then let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourselves, yourself and your hearers. Okay, so we, we talked last time about those five uh, things that he is to um, demonstrate. Um, he is to set an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. But then he, he says uh, in verse 13, he's to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Now, what do you think Paul has in mind there? Why does he tell Timothy, his protege, to devote himself to these three things? They're the role of a pastor, right? Um, you know, this is the, the uh, argument that the apostles make in Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 6 when uh, their, all their time is taken up with caring for the widows, what, what happens? Yeah, and, and the apostle said, look, we, we need to set aside our time to labor in the word and prayer. So we need to get, we need to the mercy ministry was not a valuable aspect within the community. It is, but the, the apostle's role and the role of the pastor teacher needs to be differentiated from that mercy ministry. So Paul is giving Timothy, clear guidelines. This is what I want you to devote yourself to. And so we, we sort of draw a little bit, not only of the pastoral vocation, but also what should take place on the Lord's Day? Why is it that we have the reading of Scripture, preaching, singing, prayers? You know, why do we have these things every Lord's Day? Is it just because, you know, the preacher's got to get paid, so he's got to do something? It's, that's the only day he works, so you gotta, you gotta get. He's, yeah, that's part of it, right? Yeah. But uh, we we uh, as reformed believe in something called the regulative principle of worship. Does anyone know what that means? Bill, give us a good definition. Okay, so whatever Scripture commands, we should be doing. 
And if it doesn't command it, we shouldn't be doing it, right? So the Lutherans view it differently, right? They think that um, if it's not commanded, um, if, if it's commanded that we don't do it, those are the things we shouldn't do. But everything else we're free in. We, did, we define it a little bit differently. We say we should be only doing the things that are commanded, um, not just free to determine our own thing. But, you know, um, this is one of the reasons why we don't have like a, you know, an, a ballet on Sunday with, you know, a drama afterwards. Because Paul tells Timothy to devote himself to the reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. What's exhortation? Explaining the word, right? So, and encouraging obedience, right? Applying the word to the life of the people of God. This is what preaching is. Preaching is is not just teaching. It's not just explaining. It's declaring and applying the word of God to the people of God. Um, and so, so Timothy is to read the scriptures. This is a common, uh, this was a common um, practice within the synagogue. Uh, a, a scroll would be provided to a reader. All Hebrew men were eligible to make a comment on the text. It would that whatever that reading is for the day. If you look through a Hebrew Bible, all the readings in the synagogue are marked in there with little symbols. You read from here to this point, and from there to the next point. All the readings are laid out, and so you you see this in Matthew when Jesus goes and they, and, and they give him the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads that scroll. And then he makes some comments. He, he gives an exhortation. He says, this is now fulfilled in your hearing. And then he goes and sits down. Um, and so he is doing what Paul is urging Timothy to do. Read the scriptures, make some comments about them, apply it to the people of God. Bill. Yep. Right. Same covenant, same scripture. Um, and I would argue at this late point, they're already using the letters of Paul and Peter as scripture. Right. What, what, what do we read at the end of second Peter when Paul is taught or when Peter is exhorting the congregation? He said, and when Paul is read and yeah, I know Paul gets misread sometimes. It's kind of difficult to read. But he equates what Paul is writing with Scripture. It's the same. And so even at this late uh, or this early time within the church, the New Testament letters and probably at least the Gospel of Mark is being circulated amongst the churches. And they're reading it. Um, Matthew's gospel is pretty contemporary with, um, with Paul, um, but, but we're not sure the extent of how far that moved outside of Judea. It took a little more time um, each Greco-Roman culture, and many scholars think it was probably written in Hebrew or Aramaic. Um, but Mark was widely circulated. So they have the gospel of Mark, they have Paul's, Letters to circular letters to churches like Ephesians 
and um, Philippians. These were circular letters that were meant to be, yes, they were delivered to a particular church, but then they were meant to be read at somebody else's church. So Timothy is to be opening up these, uh, the scriptures in the public reading of them, exhorting and teaching. And then in, in verse 14, he says, Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. What do you think he's talking about there? Right, yeah. Yeah, it's quite possible. Um, and part of it might be that he's, he's neglecting his responsibility to correct the false teachers, which, it, which directly relates to opening up the Scriptures and teaching, right? Because what, are these, what do these false teachers want to do? What does Paul accuse them of at the beginning? They want to be teachers of the law, Right? They want to sit in Moses' seat. They want that seat of honor. They want to be teachers. But Paul says, you don't understand the law. How can you teach something you don't understand? So he's driving Timothy to go back to his first calling. Remember, devote yourself to these things. Don't be sidetracked by other good things, but could take you away from your primary calling. And, um, you know, there's a what we in the Reformed will call a double calling. So for me, I felt God internally calling me to be a pastor. And I tested that gift. I had others in, who were elders over me who were saying, yes, we see that gift in you. We, we can testify that it's, it, it seems as if the Lord has called you to pastoral ministry. But until you, the Congregation of Hope Church, called me outwardly, I had no call. So we, we differentiate between the internal call and the outward call, which is really the um, corroboration of the in- internal call. That yes, we see that too, and we are calling you to be our, our, an elder or a shepherd um, over us. For me, it was to be a pastor, but you do the same for your ruling elders. They say, they sense, yes, I've, I feel a, as if the Lord is, is calling me to the task. And then you say, yes, we see that too. And we, ex- we vote you to be a representative elder over us. And so that's the kind of process. And you, if, you, if you were here for my ordination, what happened? All those men surrounded me. They laid their hands on me. They prayed for me. And I was called. 
And in, 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 in a, a really, a real sense, I became a pastor there. And, and, um, and uh, Paul is encouraging Timothy, remember that. Remember, it, it's not just that you felt called, but the church called you and they laid your, their hands on you and you received the gift. That is the ability to open up the word of God. To be discerning, to be to be able to exhort God's people in God's word, um, and to teach them. So don't neglect that gift which has been given to you by the Lord. That is, you know, the hour calling. Yeah. I take prophecy to mean the word that was spoken over them. So, like, whenever I was um, charged, and then that's the, that's the call. That's the outward call. So, I would take that to be, the prophecy would be the word that was spoken over him. But it is difficult where, where we don't, ha- you know, uh, we don't have a lot of outside evidence, outside of Scripture of what, what is happening in ordination? Um, and so we have the, this text and a couple others that, that, uh, that shed a little bit of light on that. But, um, but there, is, there is lots of questions around this. I was speaking with Glenn last week about this text because it is sort of perplexing. What is the gift that Timothy received? Is this a special gift? Is this a part of his apostolic ministry that's different from all other pastors or teachers? Um, we're not, we don't know. Um, it seems to be a way for Paul to encourage Timothy to remember his calling. Go back to your ordination. Remember what God set you apart for. I know this is hard. I know this is going to be challenging. You're going to have to say hard things to people who don't necessarily respect you because you're younger than them. But you have been tasked with leading this church and maintaining faithfulness to the Scriptures. So he's trying to bolster him, to give him some encouragement for the task. Paul and Timothy? I'm sure pretty close, 15, 20 years. Uh, Timothy, if, if he's you know a teenager... When Paul takes him and begins his second missionary journey and has him circumcised, because remember his father's a Greek and his mother was a Jew, um, he was probably quite young. And now it's at least a decade later. Some think he's maybe in his early 30s. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yep. 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 
Yep. Yeah, yeah. 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 It is. It is. It is hard. And it's one of the reasons why in the PCA we make the process so rigorous. It's not just going to seminary and then you're done, but it's it's an ordination process that goes through the presbytery. So there's a school side that's kind of like, yeah, you should do it. Um, but there's the presbytery side that's quite rigorous. I mean, I had to take not only just tests to know what you know, but tests about your character, who you are, how you live. And, you know, I'm a part of that process now. It's called the Licensure and Ordination Committee. And we are the ones that examine all of the young men who are um, candidating for gospel ministry or even those who are already ministers that transfer in. It's not just a guarantee that we're going to let you into the presbytery. We're going to make sure that you're faithful. And that includes your qualifications, which we looked at for an elder, are all character-based. So it's not just about what you know, which is gets confused with seminary. You know, it's like, well, I went to seminary, I know a lot of stuff. Well, yeah, but do God's people love God's work? That's a totally different, those are different sets of questions. So, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. There are a lot, a lot of people who find, um, and I think we talked about this maybe in a different context, but this uh, full-time Christian ministry, you know, you, if you really want to be saved, if you really want to be dedicated to Jesus, you need to be in full-time Christian ministry. Right, yeah. Yeah, those are like the special forces. You know, then you have the regular armies, like pastors like me and stuff. But but, uh, but yeah, that kind of false dichotomy is not good because um, we do believe in the priesthood of all believers. We do believe that God has given gifts to his church. And uh, part of those are for the uh, the equipping of the saints. That's my role as a pastor. But the rest of them, that's for you. You know, you guys are the ones who are are going to uh, take the gospel to the nations and bring them in, you know, um, and and the, the role of the pastor is to equip you to do that task. So, Cheryl, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, 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 you're good to go, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think that, you know, I think that um, we've done a better job, I think, in the Reformed tradition of mitigating against that idea, because we don't have a sacred-secular divide, any vocation can be sacred in the sense that it can glorify God, so we try not to put those, but it still creeps in, Um because we're so prone to Gnosticism and elevating the spiritual above material things. So we can't help but think, well, a pastor must be better, must be a better vocation. 
And, uh, and that we just have to get rid of that kind of thinking. It's not helpful. Um, I know. Yeah. That's why I did it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's true. And it's also why the first advice I was given at 23 when I said I want to be a pastor to my pastor, he said, okay, well, let's see. Wait. You know, raise a family. Build, build a business because you don't have any life experience. And if the Lord's called you, you will be. You'll be a pastor. And that's what I did. And 10 years later, I I became a pastor, but it, it took a long time. It was a long process. And um, that turned out to be the best advice that I could have ever had. So many of the guys that I went through seminary with who were 23, who had no life experience, who had went from high school to college, to seminary, and they, they never even worked a job where they supported themselves, you know. Um, it, it really makes for uh, a diminished ability to care for your people pastorally. And we have ways of helping that along, like we will put them in youth ministry, but is that really the, do we really want to give the most immature um, person to our teenagers, you know. Uh, I don't think that's the best method of doing it. I understand why that happens, but um, I don't think it's wise. So um, in verse 15, he says, Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Well, wait a second. I thought we were not supposed to practice our righteousness before men. Didn't Jesus say, go into your closet and pray in quiet and your heavenly father who sees he will reward you and don't go out into the streets and talk about how much you're charitable. Isn't Paul Jesus here? Bill's saying no. Explain, defend. Okay, so how do we do this in a way that honors both? Jesus and Paul. John. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so your mot- your internal motivations? Yep. Yeah. So he said both. Good. I was glad you said that. Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. John. 
Yep. Yeah. And that's what he says next, right? You've got to keep close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. I knew Paul believed in works righteousness. See? If you do these things, you'll save yourself and your hearers. What's Paul talking about? What happens to a church whose pastor goes off the rails? They do too. The whole church begins to believe that stuff until finally it explodes and then they, you know, they're scratching their head and like, how was I involved with this for 20 years? And I never, I didn't see it at the time. And that's the lucky few that actually get out. But, uh, you know, the teaching ministry of the church is absolutely vital. And that's why I love Presbyterianism. Because I'm not alone. I've got checks and balances. I've got men who you selected who are godly, who love the Scriptures, who should be checks against what I'm teaching. And if I'm teaching something false, they should be pulling me aside like, hey, I don't know if you realize, but you said this, and it doesn't line up with Scripture. That's what elders are for. Um, That's why we have a plurality of elders. And it's one way that we mitigate against the church drifting off into false teaching. And, uh, and the same with the presbytery. We have the presbytery who is uh, involved in oversight of the church and is um, you know, a, a constant resource for our elders to go to if things go wrong. I would say both and, um, you know, we, uh, you, you are involved in the presbytery as a pastor. And so you would hope that other men would help keep you accountable if you start spouting things that are wrong. Um, but probably it's both. I think the elders would, you know, they always have that as a recourse of somewhere to go and say, hey, look, I don't think my pastor is you know, doing what he should be. Can you help in this? But I, I don't know which, which one is more, happens more. Sadly, usually they don't find out until it's, it's so late that the church has done so much damage, you know, or maybe there's nobody left and the church just splits. And yeah. 
Yeah. You know, then I think it's less likely that that, that would get up to the president. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. And, yeah. Exactly. Yep, yep. And sometimes the elders might not feel they can challenge the pastor who's been there 20 years, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it grows. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah, we got to be like the Bereans. Beverly, did you? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is this whole fiasco with the same sex um, uh, uh, attracted pastor uh, all happened in one presbytery, Missouri Presbytery. And because they have all of them concentrated there, they all protect them. And, you know, there was the, the main overture or the main, um, uh, our court system at the General Assembly is called the, the Standing Judicial Committee. It, and it's basically the Supreme Court of our um, denomination. And the main case that was there was uh, a case to take jurisdiction over Greg Johnson and Memorial Presbyterian Church because they felt like the Missouri Presbytery who had tried him was too close to the situation, right? He's their own. They, they feel some sense of responsibility to care for him. So the, the reasoning was, well, maybe they're not making a very good judgment in this case. Uh, sadly, that was turned down. Um, the SJC found that they had made a they did their due diligence. So, yes. Right. They were yeah. just like, oh, we have a Yeah, yeah. You will obligate yourself to the safeguarding of the church. Right, yeah. Because there have been so many times where I knew that I had to leave. Yeah, no obligation. yeah, yeah. Nothing. Right. I, I would want to fight for the right to preach and fight for the church. Yeah. Therefore, it says, 
Right. Yep. Yeah, that's great. That's good. Bill. Right. Yep. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and um, part of the problem we addressed in chapter one with the false teachers is that they are saying things that their life can never do. Right. What was the biggest problem with the Pharisees? They were hypocrites. They said one thing, but inwardly they were totally different, right? Because they, remember, we've talked about the floor-to-ceiling ethic. The floor is keeping the Ten Commandments. Can you do that and actually love God, love your neighbor? You You can do that without actually loving your neighbor. It's possible not to kill somebody, not to commit adultery, Coveting is a little bit harder. That does get to the heart of things. But you can outwardly make a good show of keeping the law and inwardly hate people, be filled with lust, you know, all all those things that Jesus is pointing to, that the the law is much more than what you're you're attributing it to. And so uh, that's the problem with the false teachers is often their lives are not, they don't match up. Right. And, and, you know, it, we need to be careful here because uh, how many of your lives match up with what you know to be true? I don't see any hands. And that's because the principle of the Christian life is repentance. And repentance means if the entirety of the Christian life is repentance, what does that mean? You never arrive. (laughs) You never get to the point where it's like, well, I've already repented. I'm done with that. Moving on to the next thing. But it's it's a constant repentance. So Paul in, 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 in exhorting and encouraging Timothy is not expecting perfection. But what he is expecting is that Timothy lives a life that's consistent with what he says. Well, what should he be saying? What gospel is Timothy called to preach? Well, it's not do this and live, is it? It's trust in Jesus Christ and live, right? So how do you live consistently with that? Well, you constantly are repenting so that Christ is the main thing, right? So that your holiness is pointing to Christ. It's him, not me. That's keeping a close watch on yourself and your teaching. You know, that's, it's not, Paul's not saying, hey, you, you got to be perfect. If you don't live the perfect life, people are not going to keep the law. Paul could care less about that. Paul wants Jesus to be preeminent in people's lives. And they can't see Jesus if you don't show them Jesus. And you, you won't show them Jesus if you're not living a life of repentance.
That means you don't have fear of saying, yeah, I'm a sinner. I, I sin as a leader. Yeah, it's true. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that, how do we get beyond that? Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> no. No, I think I think um, Paul does have growth here in mind, so that you know he says so that all may see your progress. So there is a measured difference um, between when you began the journey and when you end it. Um, but in your mind, you probably will feel less like you have arrived somewhere than you will look. Right. So on the outside, somebody might say, wow, he's a really mature Christian. But inside, you might be saying, man, I am a den of sin. And that's all I see. And that's because as we grow and mature, we see we see more acutely the ways that we fail. We made some real progress, real growth. Sadly, some of us don't. Right. (laughs) We make it and we're curmudgeons in the faith and perpetually so. And we never we never get that growth that. Um, and, you know, the Lord is able to make you stand um, because your salvation rests on the Lord alone. Yeah. Um, I know, I don't remember where we, we heard this or where we got this, but we have a thing that we discussed, which is this idea that if God were to take you as an angel and show you all of your sins and all of the things that he was going to work on you with in that one moment, you would just be crushed by it. Mm-hmm. And and partially it's a it's a design feature, right? Uh what would happen if you next week overcame every sin in your life? Would you I mean, would you even need to come to church? I mean, why? Yeah, point at me, point at me. That guy hasn't arrived yet, that's for sure. Yeah. 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 Yep. 
Yep. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, we uh, we, as I said, indwelling sin is a design feature. It's there on purpose, and its purpose is always to drive us to any kind of self righteousness is hopeless. It's hopeless. And to find our hope, surety, strength in Christ alone. Um, and that's what sin is always doing for the believer. It's always driving him back to Christ. And so um, we should be making progress. We never want to diminish that somebody would, should be making progress. And this doctrine of progressive sanctification is actually under fire in the PCA. Because there are many who are saying, well, yes. Same-sex attraction is a sin, but I'm never going to get over it. I'll never be free of it. So why, you know, just give up and live with it? John. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's simple, it's not easy. Yeah. It's a lifelong process. And um and it and it and it needs watchfulness and it needs um perseverance and endurance um because it you're always going to face new challenges that are going to test they're they're going to try your faith. You know, and a trial is to find something enough to endure. You know, you testing to make sure of its um, strength, you know. And so the Lord tries your faith and it grows. You go through a deep, difficult time and your faith does grow in the midst of that and you progress forward so that you can actually encounter bigger challenges um, and harder trials and your faith is is tested and, and grows through that process. Bill? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
Right. Yep. I know it's encouraging. It's encouraging because none of them were anything special. They're all ordinary people. They had one common characteristic. They believed God and they lived like that was true. Not always the best, but they believed it and they followed that. We got to wrap up for, uh, for worship. So let's pray. Father, we're grateful for uh, this, your word. And we ask that as we try to apply these things to our own lives. We try to um, eradicate the incongruities between what we say and who we actually are. We pray that you would lead us in repentance, that we would learn to mortify the deeds of the flesh, to walk in accordance with Christ, that we know that this process is lifelong and you've used it to humble us and to teach us to rely on him alone. So as we come to worship him, to glorify him today, we pray that you prepare our hearts. In Christ's name, amen.